0: Good afternoon, and welcome to another security symposium or seminar. Um, and this week, we're really lucky to have uh, Chris Roberts. Uh, Chris is well-known in the security community for a number of things, um, some, some he will admit to, some he will not. Uh, actually, he'll admit to probably most of them. <laughs> probably most of them, yeah. Uh, so <laughs> if you look him up uh, on the web, and you don't get him confused with a video game designer, uh, you'll find a number of interesting stories, but Chris has a background that includes uh, working as and the uh, as a commando in the British military, uh, as a award-winning caber thrower in the Scotland Games and <laughs> uh, the Highland Games. Uh, he's worked as a uh, security practitioner in this field for quite some time. Gained some no- uh, notoriety for uh, showing weaknesses in aviation systems. Uh, he has. Uh, Uh, a record that goes back in a number of ways. He informed me that I guess his first computer system was confiscated by Scotland Yard because he'd hacked into Barclays Bank uh, back in the days of modems and he was in school at the time. (laughs) He still shows a hearty disrespect for some kinds of authority and a really keen interest in security. He's acting as the chief security architect for Calvio, an up-and-coming company in the security space, and he is going to share with us a lot of information today, uh, and I hope you will uh, all appreciate that. Uh, please join me in welcoming Chris Roberts. Thank you, sir.
1: Much appreciated. Thanks, guys. Everybody good? You guys all hear me at the back? Yep. Good. All right. So it is going to be somewhat interactive. Feel free to ask questions now. We'll ask questions at the end as well, okay? So we'll have a bit of fun with the agenda. Um, we got about a hundred slides to get through in about 45 minutes. So sit back, pin your ears back and have at it. Um, we're gonna go through some fun stuff, red versus blue. How many of you guys are familiar with the whole concept of red versus blue in security? Red team versus blue teaming, the whole concept of the insider guys versus the guys on the outside with the spandex and all the fun things. Um, we're gonna have a talk about mentality reset. In other words, what are we doing right? What are we doing wrong? And What do we need to change? And then we'll have some fun along the way. Um, to Professor Spass side of things, Um, come on in, grab a seat. Um, To his side of things, um, yeah, I've been doing this for rather more years than I care to think of. Um, It's great for many different reasons. Um, Got yelled at quite a few years ago for messing around with Nigeria. We hacked back with the 419 scams, brought a whole bunch of money back into the US and then got hold of the feds and went, hi, we've got some money and it's not ours call some interesting questions uh, international space station was one mars rover we end up playing freddie mercury god save the queen on mars rover which got us yelled at as well airplanes trains and some other stuff and as it was told i'm uh, currently causing chaos and mayhem at a Calvio. so what are we not going to do we will not be doing death by powerpoint what are we gonna do we're going to be having a question. We're going to be sitting and asking a whole bunch of questions on why are we here? What are we doing? How are we trying to protect? As you guys come into the industry, what are we looking for? What do you need to do better than we did? And part of it is our friends, the humans. First statement on this one, for all that we are, we are have an equal capacity to evolve. That's a great opening statement when you think about it. We have the capacity to evolve. Well, it doesn't necessarily mean that we are evolving. As a society, when I have to put a sign that says, tweet after you've left the burning building, hold the chainsaw by the right end, and by the way, don't molest the crocodile. When we have to put these signs up to help people understand, it's arguable to say that we're not necessarily evolving. Then you take another step back and you do it purely by the numbers, by the metrics. If we look by 2020, how many connected people that we will have on this planet of ours, give or take a bit, we'll have about 7.5 billion people, about 5.5 billion or more will be connected. You take the standard bell curve that the organizations that have that says, hi, here's the people that will get a raise, here's the people that won't get a raise, and here's the people we're going to fire. You take that idea and apply it to security, about 15% of that population will understand or get security. 70% we have the sheeple. We're going to follow everybody else. And 15% think that adding seven and eight to the end of their one through six is a good security precaution. And if we're going to do it right, we'll put a nine and a bloody exclamation mark into hell with anybody. Run all the math through the system, 825 million, USA with about 4.5% of the population floating around. 9% of the population that we have will understand or get security which leaves us with the 91st percentile. This is who our audience is at times. Everybody read it and understood why it's put up there. So this is kind of what we think about it. I get to have a quick slope while you're looking at that. And this is why. When we look at the security industry as a whole, we have spent 25 years beating people up over passwords. We have yelled, we have cajoled, and this is where we still are at. Left-hand side, we have the first top 20 passwords for one of the latest break-ins. That one, we got passwords for Forbes, test one through three. Forbes one and welcome one are still winning. And then we take a look at the healthcare data breaches. And how many of those have been taken out because of just weak or loose passwords? The last set of statistics that are out there healthcare has lost about 680 to 700 million records. So successfully, they've managed to lose everybody's record in the US twice. Just to make sure that we're all being good. So this is kind of where we are smartphones, stupid people ish. But then you take a step back and go, let's take a look at the industry that we have. Where are we as an industry? The organization, so many companies are standing up and going, oh, I can solve computer security. We can look at all these advanced persistent threats. And I've got the wonderful way of detecting zero days. When you go that 90% of greater attacks are using known exploits, who gives a damn? a bad and advanced persistent threat or a zero day when I can still break in using passwords or defaults or architecture that hasn't been secured. Then you take a look at the organizations themselves and you go, how many of them? Hang on a second. Scroll moment. I got ADD. <laughs> Oi! Oh, that's you guys. Can you guys, for a second? Thank you. you there the we go. ADD takes over. It's so as simple as that. So you start taking a look at the organizations. You walk in full of vim and vigor and go, ha ha, I'm going to solve your security problems. And they're like, well, you know, we'd love to think about security, but we haven't got our policies in place, or our procedures, or our controls. So that's some of the basic stuff. Then you take a look at IoT, this wonderful tsunami of technology that's been engulfing us for the last couple of years. And how much crap is out there that hasn't been fixed? Then you take a look at us, the guys that actually do the breaking in. And you start taking the statistics on this one, 81% of us can get your data out inside the first 12 hours. Which isn't good when the statistics say the mean time to discovery is sitting between about 140 to 200 days. So not only have I taken your data, I've had the party, I've sold it, I've probably bought and crashed the Lamborghini with the damn data... And whatever I haven't done with that, I've either sniffed, snorted, or stuck into the bank somewhere on the Caymans. And you still haven't seen me. The hell chance do we have? So where does that leave the 9%? Well, round right about there. It's not pretty. We throw some statistics out as well. Two trillion a year to the economy. So when somebody says they can't measure security, or you can't measure the effectiveness or the challenges of security, these are the kind of things you can come up and say, hey, yes, we can. We have a way of doing measurements. We have a way of building metrics. The people, the identities, the malware, very simple metrics for helping people understand what's going on. And this is one I throw up just in for here because it makes, makes life interesting i got a daughter, i got two daughters. I've got an older one and a younger one. The older one wants to go into the federal authorities, which scares the hell out of me. And the (laughs) younger one can lockpick faster than I can, which is like, yes! And here's the reason I'm teaching up, because basically so many people coming up through schooling systems still aren't being given the opportunity, still aren't being talked to about the security realm, the IT realm, the whole areas. You guys are all here. Purdue's changing a lot of that. But there's still a ton of people. Now, it isn't security as just a traditional realm for having you in our industry. This whole challenge of security and the problems we have is everybody's problem. I don't care if you're going into engineering, if you're going into business management. I don't care what you are studying. Security has got to become all of our concerns. So... Not a problem. We got it covered. Ah, IT's got this sorted out. Yeah, no problem. We got it sorted. Uh, No, we haven't. We're going to about a million and a half people short by 2020. So if you are coming into our industry, congratulations. Welcome to our industry. We bloody well need you. And we'd like it if you do a better job than we did, please, as well. Issues on implementing security. Challenges around security. 24% of enterprises monitor their security, 24 by 7. So that is a 76% of companies don't even know if they're being hacked or attacked or broken into. How do we change this paradigm? So what's the summary? Well, we've got more toys we're putting out there. We're giving more technology to more people who don't understand the technology or who don't necessarily understand the implications of using that technology, we're putting more of this damn stuff into our homes, our lives, our cars, our wearable technology. All of these other devices that we're bringing in, we're doing more and more of this. We obviously don't have the in-house knowledge to deal with it. We sure as heck don't have the outhouse knowledge to deal with it. And we don't have enough people to deal with it. And by the way, we're not actually watching the systems that we're putting it into. It's not happy. And by the way, as security professionals, we still have to let you actually get to your damn technology. If we had it our own way, we'd lock it into a little building, we'd put a man with a gun on the front door of the building, and nobody would be allowed to get anywhere near it, which is perfect. But then what the hell use is it? That's where we were 20 plus years, oh no, shoot, 20, 30, 40 years ago. Yeah. Scary. That's where we were 40 years ago, we had a nice mainframe, it was in a really nice building, and if you got too close to it, you got shot. That was easy, that was good security. But then we started giving it to everybody else, which is where we lost it. So how do we break into you as a security professional? How easy and how quickly? Let's see if we can break into you in under two minutes. We will give you an employee portal because I'm nice, because I'm a good, friendly, normal human being. When we work with companies and we look to do engineering and attacks against their companies, We will put up a healthcare portal because healthcare is one of the more complex bloody things on this planet. So being nice, caring people that we are, we will go out there and we will copy somebody's healthcare website and we will put the company we're attacking, we'll put their logo onto it. And then because we're really nice people, we'll send an email to everybody we possibly can send it to inside the company going, we're nice people. We're giving you healthcare help. And by the way, because we're so nice, We've actually hooked it up to your Active Directory, which means you can use your login credentials to get into it without a problem, no issues at all. And this is what the employee says, and that is our success rate. I don't have to break in when you give me the keys to the kingdom. You can put all of the advanced protections in place, all of the endpoint, the IDS, the IPS, the DLP, all of the acronyms from hell. That you want in place, but we, the squishy thing that sits between the keyboard and the chair, is still the most vulnerable. So this is about where we feel. Oh. Everybody good so far? Yeah. Can I ask a quick
0: question? So Happily. I'm curious to hear a little bit more details on the um, phishing. Uh, yeah. So uh, you know, what uh, were these emails? Uh, you know, we sent from within them. the? No, no, oh. we
1: sent them from outside. We sent them from the website, admin at, you know, healthcareforunited.com. We'll pick on United because they're fun to pick on. So, you know, (laughs) if I wanted to attack a particular airline industry, shall we say, I would harvest every single email I could possibly find, which, let's face it, I think one of the latest breaches came out in the last couple of days when somebody disclosed 711 million email accounts. So that's 711 million emails that they've been harvesting, spam harvesting. And in there, you know damn well there's going to be, say, a couple of hundred or a couple of thousand from that particular company. And then if you look at all the other ones where you can buy the list, though, so maybe I end up with three or 4,000 emails for, say, United. Now all I do is I just craft an email from helpcare or healthcare help at, you know, uh, United helping com" and I send it out. And people go, hey, they're trying to help me and log in. It's too easy. And that's just one. You wanna get really nasty, you payload a PDF and you send it to the legal side of the company. It's a PDF from the Department of Justice. They're gonna open that like that. And then you've payloaded it, and now you've got shell onto their computer system. It's too easy to do. Does that help answer that one? Mm-hmm. Cool. All right, so. DEFCON, this year, 2017, celebrated 25 years of officially being civilized security conferences. That is 25 years we have stood on stage and we have gone, hey, look at the shit that we can break. And half the time it still talks about passwords. And every year we pick somebody different to blame because it's more fun. We blame the users, we blame the managers. We'll blame the CFO, the CEO, the CXO, the middle management. Occasionally grandma gets blamed as well. We're very good at blaming everybody but ourselves. To some degree, as it says on here, we kind of lost the data when it left the green room. So who should we blame? Well, to do that, we have to pause for a second. Then we have to get a little introspective. We as an industry need to take a step back and we really need to go, hey, we've been so focused on breaking things. We're really good at standing up and going, hey, IOTs are broken, everything's broken. We're not so good, really, at turning around and saying, hey, who are we protecting and why are we protecting them? We keep blaming everybody, keep taking a look at it and going, quite simply, hey, we can fix this little bit of a problem or we can fix this little bit of a problem. And this, I think, unfortunately, is where we are as an industry. We have failed spectacularly. And we have failed because those of you that are closer to school age than I am these days realize that Red, the guy that can jump over walls and do what he wants, when he wants, and how he wants, is kind of like the schoolyard bully. He takes what he wants, when he wants. With the Red team, nothing stops us. I've been doing this for 20-plus years. And in all that time, I've yet to fail to break into anything we've gone after. And that's government facilities, that's prisons. We've broken into prisons. We've broken into all sorts of other fun and interesting buildings and companies and computer systems, both here and abroad. That's not a good track record, because I really wish somebody would have stopped us. And then we're promoting, and we going, ah, come and join a red team. No, quit that shit. And arguably, we've lost the core focus Of what we should be doing, which quite simply is protection. It's as simple as that. I do a lot of work with the National Guard um, and I often refer to them as America's comfort blanket because when shit goes wrong, who is it that comes to the rescue? The National Guard. You don't see the FBI guys going, oh I've got two people over my shoulders and I'm wading through water. Hell no! Who do you see? You see the bloody National Guard doing that shit. What are they doing? They're protecting. What do we not need? We do not need these people anymore. Why is that? This is a little harsh, and I kind of apologize, but I kind of don't apologize. But we've spent, and we spend billions, building on the misery of others. We keep finding things to break, yet we don't always come up with a fix. So as you guys come into this industry, as you work towards this industry, stop saying, hey, I broke this, aren't I cool? No, you're not cool anymore. Nonetheless, you can go, hey, I broke this, and by the way, here's three or four different ways you can fix it. You can implement the fixes. You can help fix things. Kind of failed, unfortunately. And then to the real logic, really comes down to the simple fact there's too much out there these days. And we'll go into that in a little bit more detail. And there's too few people on the blue team side, in other words, the defense team. You get the attackers who go, ha ha, I broke everything. And the defenders are going, well, for crying out loud, I don't have the tools I need. I don't have the training I need. I don't have the background. The company only lets me work from, say, 7 a.m. till 6 p.m. And you silly, sorry ass, broke in at 2 o'clock in the morning, you rotten toe rag. Who the hell's watching the environment? And we've done that, we still do that. We did that the other week. Two o'clock in the morning, we're sitting there, pick the lock, get in, turn the alarm system off, walked out with the goods by five o'clock in the morning, left a nice little loves, hugs, and kisses note on the desktop. The guy turns up at 8 a.m., looks at the cameras, and realizes that we've already gone. It's too late. And then, then we have the vendors, the suppliers. Those that will happily sell you any kind of blinky, bloody light solution in the vain hope that it will fix things. When you get out there into the workforce and the vendor turns up and goes, I've got this year's blue blinky light and it's going to fix everything. Taser them, please. (laughs) Don't hesitate. Just go, hi, open the drawer, taser. Game over. Simple solution. Because unfortunately, what happens is you're like, ah, you got broken into last week and you're on the front page of the Times. Well, if you'd have bought our product, we would have solved that for you. That's not just a taser. That's a taser and potentially a tar and feather moment as well. There's levels for this one. So what do we do about it? Well, the blue team needs more tools. Not necessarily tools from a technical standpoint, but they need more help. We call it a blue team playbook. We're actually working on how to do it. In other words, think of it as incident response. But it's incident response to cover all sorts of ideas, concepts and thoughts and everything else. And we've got to collaborate more effectively and efficiently. You guys are at a university with what, 40,000 people on fricking campus? That's 40,000 people you can talk to. And when shit does hit the fan, that's 40,000 different people you can talk to and go, hey, we've got a problem. Plus apparently there's all sorts of alumni and all sorts of other crazy things going on. Worst case scenario, pick up the phone to this man and go, shit's broken, how do I fix it? Use the network and collaborate more. And the call out to the agencies is the same thing. One of my biggest issues, aside from all the shenanigans with the feds, is typically it's a one way street. When you go into the federal authorities and go, hey, we've got a problem, we've got something we want to work on, they're like, oh, great, thanks for the intel. Well, hey, what do I get in return? Well, you've helped the federal authorities. Who gives a shit? Seriously, give me something back I can use to help my environment. What's trending, what's happening, what's going on? So, simple question, is it the death of the red team? No, it's not. We do need to keep the red teams going. Why? Because we've got to keep the vendors honest, quite honestly. And we also basically need to help. The attackers, the red team guys, we change our tactics on a very, very, very regular basis. So having friendly red teams that collaborate with the blue teams will help them, get everybody get better here faster. We need to train. Train you guys, train everybody. At some point in time i would like to actually put my feet up somewhere probably not on a beach but probably on a mountain somewhere in the vain hope the electricity doesn't go off for of one day that means you guys are going to have to take over and preferably do a better job than we did so that's our job train you and obviously somebody needs to keep annoying the fbi that can be your job too so what do we do about it we have to change the mentality as you guys come into the workforce, as you work more effectively, as you talk to organizations, I don't care what job you do, but put security in there somewhere, please. Put it as part of a software development lifecycle model. Put it as part of your building, your architecture, your environment, and put it as part of your mindset. When you're downloading apps, when you're adding things, start asking that next question. When somebody sends you something, ask that next question to yourself. Ask the family. Get people to think about these things. Because if you don't, you still have people like me that will tear all of the new shiny things to pieces. And we've been doing that, which is why we've got some slides in here all about that. So this is the other one as well. (laughs) when you talk to the vendors the suppliers and the partners when you guys go out into industry ask more questions that whole idea of trust is great and it's amazing but don't do it and if you do trust but verify when the vendor goes ah this year's blinky light is going to solve all the problems well bloody well prove it it's part of the reason i'm with the Calvio. It's for that exact same reason. Because when they came to me and said, hey, we've got this new toy, I'm like, oh, hell no. You bloody well prove it. And so we spent six months beating the living heck out of it to make it something that it should be, and now it is what it needs to be. But you guys are gonna do the same thing. Same thing with the blinky light, because that shit isn't gonna work. Because this is really the reality of the blinky light. This is actually two engagements, and we're like, oh, we've got a data center. Yeah, that was their data center. <laughs> And we're like, I can't break into that because I don't even know what the hell, I'll just take scissors to the cables. It's easier that way. It's horrible and it was scary. So what do we have to do? There was a company many, many years ago called PacketStorm. They kept it very, very simple, evolve or die. We have to get better. Arguably, a lot of the security tools out there these days are what's known as reactive. The firewall, hey, yeah, I saw the packet. I did send it to Latvia, was that okay? (laughs) That's your firewall. Your IDS IPS goes, hey, I I saw the packet, but I didn't see in any kind of these lists. So I, I let it go to Latvia as well. Do you mind if I do that? The DLP, data leakage goes, hey, you know, I saw the packet and it was actually wrapped up in something really cool. It was actually in, you know, a PNG file and you let me send PNG files. Is that okay that I sent it? This shit's reactive. This is why we lose all of our data. So as you start looking at this industry, start realizing that you need to be more predictive stuff in place. And I'm not talking AI and machine learning because we can have a really good conversation about that. By the way, anybody that comes to you and says, ah, oh, we've got an AI system, taser them and tar and feather them and stake them on the ground. With ants. Yeah, Thank you. Yeah. The little red buggers as well, please. Not the nice ones. Gods help us. Learning behavior, the ability to build something that is adaptive, the tool that you buy or the tool that you are developing today still needs to work in five years time. Architect your solutions that way. And it's gotta be predictive and it's also gotta be intuitive. The whole concept of actually building something and then handing somebody a manual that's that thick, not good, doesn't work. And by the way, Don't give people more consoles. They already have enough damn consoles, and they don't have enough time to look at the consoles they have, and they don't have enough time to look at... I went around RSA this year. To me, RSA this year was like RSA last year with more blinky lights and more freaking consoles. End of RSA, I just saved you about $2,500 on a ticket. Because this is unfortunately where the poor IT guy sits. Not enough hours in the day. And then let's talk about passwords. oh for crying out bloody loud. All right. I have a T-shirt. Actually, it's a hat as well. It says passwords are dumb. I get so frustrated and so fed up, and we still break into places. I've got a spreadsheet. It's about three and a half, four thousand lines, and it's all the defaults that people leave on all of their software and hardware. Like the ILO cards, Root Calvin still gets me into production systems. Who the hell does that? Taser the IT guy at that point in time. Or actually taser the bloody vendor for installing it and not telling the company to change the stupid thing. It's so easy to do this. Most of the organizations. It's simple to fix this stuff. You know, user education. Let's stop making it so bloody easy. One of these days I'm going to back out over this cable and I'm going to go oh, arse over tip in the middle of it. So, Let's summarize it. Red teams, quit the defaults, quit the hard-coded stuff, and stop shared keys. As a blue team, less less screens, less insecure ways to do things, more intuitive. Basically, the whole idea here is both teams need to work together. We're doing a lot of work with, again, the National Guard and a bunch of other folks where they're like, oh, we've got this cool red team. I'm like, bring them into the bloody building, sit them down with the blue team. Not on opposite sides of the room, but one red, one blue, one red, one blue. You will collaborate. So when the red team guy goes, hey, I'm going to drop this new packet, the blue team guy can go, hang on a second. Yep, no, I didn't see that. That's great. And the red team guy goes, well, now try now. And you have this much more interactive discussion, at which point, guess what? shit actually gets fixed and things don't break as often and people learn more effectively don't get me wrong i enjoy capture the flag and causing chaos and mayhem in the world but i want to be able to feed that data back to the blue team so they can bloody well learn as to what's going on so why do we care why am i ranting about this stuff this is why What we have now is nothing to what is coming down the line. What do I mean by that? I mean I'm gonna take a quick glass of water while you look at squirrels. (laughs) You guys have heard of the whole IoT ecosphere, yes? This is my slide about IoT. It is extremely illegible because there's so much crap on it. When we talk to people about IoT, when organizations think about IoT, it's this one little bit up here personal devices through to maybe connected home. What we tend to forget about is the rest of the crap of IoT. And that's only the stuff now. That isn't the stuff that we're looking to put in place and we're looking to build. Then you look at the shared architectures, the shared software, the shared code, and how much of it's not secure. And again we go back to the fact there's not enough of us to fix it now let alone what's coming down the line then we take a look at the fintech space financial technology the concept here is instead of you going into a brick and mortar bank and going ah i'm going to give you my money you go onto your phone and go i'm going to give you my money instead oh my god shoot the phone and then when you've done shooting the phone taser half the fintech companies we did a study 248 companies, $3.4 billion they've managed to get funded, 65% of them haven't done the basic security testing. So these are companies going out going, hey, if you want to buy a car or you want to buy a house or you want to get a loan, we can do all of this processing for you. We'll save you all the problems and hassles of going into a bank. Give us all of your information, which you do, and they haven't got the basic shit fixed. So we have to do a better job of asking those nasty awkward questions of the companies. And if you're going to go work for one of them, you guys are going to do a better job of securing the damn stuff. So before we hit the panic button, let us have some fun. (sighs) Let's talk about locomotives. I'm not allowed to talk about airlines anymore, but I can talk about trains. For any of you that do want to have some fun, just Google my name and United, and then giggle. (laughs) So we took a look at the locomotive industry. Why? Because A, they're big. B, they're fun. C, as a kid, I built one of the stupid things, and now I've got a big one to play with that's actually weighs several thousand tons. And D, you can actually make them do that. And the other reason is they are one of the integral parts of what's known as the intermodal system. In other words, when you go to the cafeteria in the Union, and you sit down and you get your food, that food at some point in time started somewhere else. It might have been on a ship coming in from abroad. It might have been in the farm somewhere else. It got here by train. If we can figure out how to stop the trains, all of a sudden, we might get some people's attention. Or we're going to get arrested again. So what do we do? So this is a short couple of slides based on an entire presentation we did. And we had some fun. We basically said, let's set ourselves 48 hours. What can we do with the locomotive environment inside 48 hours? So this was the tools that we used. I would advocate that you don't do this, because you will get yelled at. But you can basically mess around. You've got some fun tools here. By the way, please notice the extremely, not necessary one, which is the good bottle of single malt. Always attack things with single malt. It makes life much easier. Mm -hmm. But this isn't heavy and hard stuff. This is not having zero-day exploits. This isn't having to write crazy amounts of code. This is a couple of hundred foot of Cat5 cable, a whole bunch of research, and then some time to do a little bit of work. First, we decided to take a look at where the cargo was. So if you want to know where all the cargo is, there's three different organizations. Orbcom, Transcurrent, SoftRail. They run a whole bunch of online systems. Those online systems are basically web-facing systems with unfortunately very easy SQL queries behind the scenes at which you can ask them all sorts of nice SQL questions and get a simple answer. This basically shows you exactly where the rail yard is. So there are rail yards all dotted around all the globe. Each one of these is a different type of container. Some of these are petroleum containers, some of them are operated by different companies. CSX one, Northwest Southern one, all the different ones on here. Each one of these has a bill of laden. So now, if I want to know where the train and the locomotive is, I can take a look at them. and go, hey, I actually want to get a whole bunch of these or a whole bunch of these and mess with them. Easy stuff to do. By the way, this was doing without login credentials. You can interrogate the entire system if you know how to manipulate a web browser, which hopefully you do by now. So we can at least look at where the cargo is. Well, what do we do with the train? Well, we take a look at GE. GE makes some amazing trains. GE doesn't do quite as good a job with the passwords. User ID GE, password six zeros. Not that hard to get into, especially when you start taking a look at the GE trains that are not necessarily in this country, and you can mess around with QNX, which is basically a nice interface system We did this live when we were in London earlier this year, we got into a train in China. They're like, oh, you can't do that. So we did, so we telneted in, got a nice screen console up with the maintenance software and took a screenshot of exactly what the engine was doing in China. Took about 10 minutes and that was the user ID and password to get into it. Easy stuff and at this point in time, I've got access to this, which means I can speed the train up or slow it down. Whatever I wanna do. So that's fun. Can we do the same thing in the US? Well, the answer is yes because there's how you hack signals. That 200 foot of cable and three minutes with a lockpick set gets you into a wayside. They're dotted around. They're at junctions, they're at intersections. They're also, if you go out to a nice middle of nowhere, we've got about a hundred miles of track, they're about every two to five miles. You can find one of these things. If you feel like getting access to one, which I probably wouldn't advise, unless you have a get out of jail free card, you can plug in, get into them, And with a very simple G-E-G-E, you can get an access console to the damn thing. If it doesn't give you an IP address, you can assign yourself an IP address and just get terminal server to it. At which point, now I can actually get into the communication equipment and I can pull off all the wayside information. So I've got to one. The question is, can I get to all of the others? The answer, of course, is yes. I can actually take over at any one point in time several hundred miles of track at my discretion. What can I do with it? Well, I can leave all the lights green, I can turn all the lights red, I can put the signal crossings up, I can put the signal crossings down. I can do whatever I want. And the reason I can do whatever I want is when the engineers built this, they didn't think about security. They put one button in there that's called a man not present. In other words, if I wanna turn the signals up and down and turn lights green, I have to press this one button. But that one button goes to a software function that's on the board. So all I have to do is overflow that software function and it defaults to what I want it to. So I basically do a man in the middle attack on an app layer and I basically do an attack on the network layer. Combine those two together. Now I can actually take over, pretty much so any signal anywhere. Unfortunately, this is what happens. How many of you ride Amtrak or have ridden Amtrak or the train system? Excellent. This is what you can do to Amtrak trains too. Amtrak is currently running Shellshock on a whole bunch of their Amtrak systems. Probably not the smartest thing to do. It also means when you're sitting legally in the passenger compartment on the passenger wireless network, if you run Shellshock on the switches, you can basically get yourself onto the locomotive network. And from the locomotive network, you can actually, if you're running late, speed the train up a little bit and not have it stop at any of <laughs> the other crossings. you get the idea. Kind of a fun thing to do. Everybody good so far? all right so we've had transportation let's have some fun with food so in this case I'm gonna mess with the UK the reason I'm gonna mess with the UK is I have one English and one Scottish side of the family the Scottish side of the family went for independence and we lost because there are too many bloody English people in Scotland (laughs) so this is revenge this is basically going after the cows because cows are fun to break Why accounts are great? Because they're part of the food system. And they're also fun because you can do your own research. Again, as an attacker and as a defender of organizations. If you ignore what Hollywood tells you, you actually have to do your own research. This is how you do it. Do your own open source research. Do your own intelligence research. Google the heck out of it. Use Shodan. Use all the detail stuff get out and understand what torn onion is there is a whole wealth of information on there take a look at this information google yourself it can be a little scary at times so rather than researching let's hack something i'll let you read that for a second while i take a quick slope everybody good <laughs> so this is Hacking Cows 101. Cows have to be milked on a regular basis, and as they're milking them, the milk machines, especially the automated systems these days, can also measure the cow's biochemistry and everything else, which means when the cow is being uddered up and all sorts of milk's been taken out, and they go, ah, the cow's feeling bad, let's fill it full of chemical crap. That's what this machine does. The way you get into these machines is using terminal server or PC anywhere. And as it's the same password across the entire herd management system, you can get into about a quarter of a million cows in about 10 minutes flat. So quarter of a million cows with a whole bunch of systems, I can now not just measure the milk, but using this system and this one, I can also adjust the drugs that it's fed. So number one, I can put drugs into the milk and number two, I can drug the cow up. So you're either going to end up with a really happy hippie cow, or I can kill the cow and poison your milk. That took about 48 hours to figure out as well. And if that wasn't enough, you can war drive the livestock for sheer giggles. So I was driving through Wyoming recently and I'm like, why the hell is my wireless system going mad? And it was going mad because the cows are running pedometers on them. So they've got near field communication. So herd management is a huge thing, both from a costing feeding perspective and a whole bunch of other reasons. Which is great until you realize that the cow management system is all hooked up to basically an access database that is running default credentials that's sitting on the internet. So we went around and we waddled all the cows and we figured out where the access management database was, then we actually accessed the access management database and changed the GPS coordinates of where all the cows went. So the poor farmer's sitting there going, why the bloody hell for sake damnation are my cows sitting in the middle of Colorado, no longer in Wyoming. I got a good friend that lives in Colorado. I ended up putting about two and a half million head of cows in his house. He's <laughs> not a happy bunny. So. Ah, it isn't going to end well. Why isn't it going to end well? Because we can go after the crops as well. We talk about computers, we always think about computers in the traditional sense. Corporate building, computer it can break into it. We tend not to think about computers in non-traditional systems, inside farms, inside factories, inside all these kind of facilities, inside the tractors that plant the crops. Here's a scenario for you. In a particular company that produces tractors that is partly gold and partly green, there's two FTP servers, SFTP servers, that are sitting. Those two SFTP servers do updates for the entire globe's worth of tractors. They're not the most secured updates either. What you can do is you can hook up to their SFTP server, take a look at what's known as the PTC. So basically, you've got your nice shiny tractor, and when you want to go plant crops, you plug in this damn device at the back, which sows the crops in the ground. Everybody with me so far? Which is marvelous until you go, hey, I can adjust how deep or how shallow the crops are sown. So instead of your barley or your wheat being sown four inches deep, I sow it two inches deep, or an inch deep, or six inches deep. So now I affect your crops. Not only do I affect your crops, I affect the futures market. Which now means rather than hacking Wall Street, I can screw with Wall Street. Much more fun thing to do. Everybody good so far? Good. Let's talk about hacking humans. So, there are three ways to hack it. There's probably more, but let's just. There's three ways to hack a human psychology, social engineering, or let's just hack the bloody human. So, we're going to throw the crystal ball out a little bit, but not too far out. We're going to talk about nanotechnology the idea of either using carbon based, basically, molecules as micro machines or biochemical technology. In other words, the whole idea of using the body as itself. We're going to talk a little bit about nanotubes and nanocarbons. So what the hell is a nano thing? It's that. Bloody small, ridiculously amazing. There's your human hair, there's stereocilla, and there's a carbon nanofarm. Rather small little critters, but extremely versatile. Because all you're doing, you're manipulating atoms. It's atomic level stuff. So where were we? see where we were. This is 1997. So 20 years ago, carbon nanotubes and carbon nanotechnologies built a playing, what do you call it, guitar, isn't it? Air guitar. Da-da-da. Where are we today? Well, this is where we are today. We're able to educate the atoms. Not only can we make pretty patterns out of them, we actually have the ability to get them to recognize what where and how they are in the body, as well as some of the chemical elements that they're interfacing with. What does this mean in English? It means a simple thing. It means I can go backwards to early days of coding to go forwards to communicate with the damn things. So those of you that are looking at biology, those of you looking at the sciences, this is really where the fun starts, where we're actually crossing over really extensively. You take some very, very simple coding languages you give it the ability to put standard constraint files in, you replay it on a frequency, and now you can basically inject, you can take physical to a frequency wave, frequency wave either transmitted over laser or UHF or near-field communication, and now it can actually communicate with the molecules themselves, as long as they've got the receptors and antennas and all sorts of other fun things. So I've got carbon nanotubes, I've got my coding and my programming, and I can get the two to talk to each other. Well, that's great, but what the hell uses a carbon nanotube? Well, if you attach a tail to the carbon nanotube, and you apply frequency to it, you can make the damn thing move. So now I've got swimming carbon nanotubes. This is where we are. So now I can actually get this carbon nanotube to go directions and other functions. There was uh, something that came up on... um, Gosh, I thought it was online last week. There was a specific uh, program. Look it up online. Basically, somebody decided to mess around with sperms and eggs. So rather than the strongest sperm going, Woohoo! I got this one covered! What they ended up doing, they manipulated some of these buggers so the exact one that they wanted got to where it needed to be as quick as possible. So no longer is it the strongest will survive. It's whichever one actually won out against this critter survives. There's a YouTube video about it which scares the living crap out of me. Not only that, but we can actually get them to a stage where they can make independent decisions based off of recognizing different chemicals. So the whole concept here is if I drop carbon architecture into your body and I make it intelligent enough, it can go around the body and start to understand what is in the body. The upside of this is fantastic. The downside of it is the six foot three hairy thing that's going, hey, guess what I can do to this shit? Well, we can hack it, obviously, because that's what we do. Let's dip into science for a second. If we take a look at this one, we take a look at how an attack strategy would work. How do we attack computer systems we know today? And then how do we apply that to the biological level of the world? It's simple, we have our receptor keys, our transport, basically bird flu. Think about a vaccine. The whole concept of a vaccine is take something that's nasty, kick it a few times, and then inject it back in again, because in theory it shouldn't kill you. We have the bypass tools, we have our reporting tools, and our payload, and we have our decoys. Everything that we would use in a regular computer environment to break in, we now miniaturize, we take out, and then in English, here's what we've done. We basically took bird flu, we attach carbon nanotubes to it, how do we do that? We obviously have the ability for them to recognize the chemicals. So now we've done that, we fooled the body into thinking it was good because we've injected it as far as part of a vaccine, we've got the propulsion system, that was the nice swimmy damn things, we obviously got the tracking methodology because we obviously need to know where the Smurf it is in the body, decoys me the drug. If we're nice, we can drop it right next to a cancer cell, an Alzheimer's cell, something really really good. If somebody like me is sitting there going, hey, guess what I can do with an antenna and a near-field communicator, I can now drop it right onto a red blood cell. Not so nice. So, this doesn't require a very expensive lab's worth of equipment. You can do it with about $100 worth of Arduino. So just the same as the whole press has gotten hold of pacemakers and the ability now to kill you remotely if you have a pacemaker, and we all know that we can kill you if you're running an insulin pump and all that shenanigans, now with the crazy crap that we're putting out with nanotechnology, we can do the same thing with about $100 worth of Arduino. So those of you that are like, oh, I don't want to do any hardware hacking, this is why you want to do hardware hacking. Because it's fun. Well, also kills people as well, but that's not so fun. So... For those of you that had an anti-GMO moment, there's more of that coming down the line. Because not only we decided, ah, this stuff's really, really amazing to actually pump into bodies, but now we can pump it into the food. And we can make food last longer, and we can make it, we can put steroids in the food, and we can drop more of it into the agriculture. Yeah, I'm not looking forward to this. I will get back to growing my own food soon. And if you want supplements, we can throw even more of that crap at you. Coming down the line. So Where are we at with this one? Well, we're about here. (laughs) You guys remember this movie? No? Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs for Crying Out Loud? Good gods, people. All right, so where are we? Well, we're about here. Again. (laughs) All right. Panic time. And then this one. I know I'm running low on time, aren't I? So let's basically go through something very quickly. This is one of the areas that... Basically, as a researcher, as an attacker, whatever you want to call us, we have done an amazing job as a society of putting more and more of us out there on the internets. We do a phenomenally awful job of protecting any of that data, and we keep putting more and more crap about us out there. So, consequences and actions. What does this mean? It means that a nice little platform that I have, that I run, brings in about a billion targets on a monthly basis. IRC channels, I2P channels, Darknet channels, the whole lot. I bring in about a quarter of a million credit cards every single month that people lose. Patient records, healthcare records, you get the idea. Do a better job of looking after your data please and the organizations and the charges that you are responsible for. We've seen that one before, I just realized. If any of you are interested in nuclear stuff, there's some fun stuff. I put this one up, I was at a government meeting and I put this one up at the government meeting and like half the people went like this because they're like, oh my God, we can't see TS level data. I'm like, you lost your shit. So if anybody wants the plans for a nuclear plant, Williams Station's nuclear reactor is actually sitting in an Iranian server along with all the tools and by the way, anybody in the Iranian army, actually there's all their people as well. So this is the kind of fun stuff that gets lost. And then we go back to the vendors and the suppliers. And this is where it gets nasty, because I'm not the nicest of people sometimes. So when we are looking to break into somebody, we will occasionally look for the weakest link. And unfortunately, more often than not, the weakest link is the vendor, the supplier. The people, you might have your own environment nicely secured, but occasionally you have to hand that data to third parties this next slide is going to see why you really have to ask them all the nasty awkward questions because this is what happens when the vendor fails this was a security contractor this guy ran security for the company not only did he do that he had all of his data and third parties data on his portable server and he had that and that and obviously had his bloody girlfriend if we could have found pictures of naked him We would have put them up there, and we would have put a very, very small little thing over his thing. (laughs) Unfortunately, we couldn't, but quit mixing business and pleasure on the same system. So, wrap up. This is going to be your future. Some of the stuff I'm working on at the moment is consciousness and computers. Where are we going to be in 10, 15 years' time? can we and are we at a stage or coming towards a stage where we can upload consciousness to computers and if we can what the hell happens then? Barriers, all sorts of other things come down, how do we do this, how do we talk, all these other wonderful things yet the problem is in that 15-20 years time are we still going to be figuring out how the hell to deal with passwords? You're coming into this industry, how can you Change things. What can you do differently? How can you do better than we did, hopefully? Get out of the red team and blue team mentality. When somebody comes in and goes, hey, I want you to run in the red team, go, hey, get lost. I want to collaborate with the teams. And by the way, taser the damn vendors. Every now and again, they need it. It's kind of like a wake up and a reminder for them. Mm -hmm. Tech's coming. We aren't stopping it. We tried stopping it with BYOD and a whole bunch of other things. Get used to it. We're going to have to do a better job. We, as teams, have to collaborate. And Blue, quite honestly, Blue's kind of got to win on this one. Because if Blue doesn't win, we've got some problems. So, with thanks. And then the final slide. From Mr. Douglas Adams. So long and thanks for all the fish. Questions. Everybody's sitting there going, Holy smoke, I'm not gonna ride a train, eat food, or go anywhere near the damn doctor's for the next six months. What questions you guys got?
0: Remember to use the mic.
1: So when you see organizations that have really done
0: their security as well as can be expected. I yes. Hoped, okay. Yeah. Is
1: there any favorite spot that typically to CISO tends to be more influential? Is it operations? Is it reporting to the CEO? Is it under CIO? Or does it not really matter? Just varies from organization to organization? I think organization. it varies from organization to organization. I think what I see better than anything else is when the CISO is working closely with like compliance and legal and regulatory and HR. I think that's when, when you see, because the biggest challenge that we have in security and IT as a whole, IT shouldn't own anything, arguably. When you come to me as the business and go, hey, i got this really cool database, well, congratulations, I'll give you a home for it, but you own the darn thing. It's your data, you have to tell me who should and shouldn't have access to it. So when IT goes, I want the entire domain, that's when we fall over on ourselves. And then security's gotta come in and go, hey, I really want to lock everything down, but I know users need to use it. So I've got to work with the business. I've got to work with the IT guys. I need to work with legal and compliance and HR. And we all need to figure out how to solve this better. That's a huge thing. It comes down to communication. Um, I got to go away. (laughs) away Can't tase them. I had I to fly there's another a class coming in here shortly. Oh, there is? So all right, sorry. Up. So there, we did a really good talk uh, at DEF CON. There, uh, we can kick him out for a bit, that'd be fine. <laughs> did a really good talk at uh, DEF CON. Um, I got challenged by somebody and we ended up putting a talk on together. It was awesome, it was all about communication. And it was communicating at the user level, manager level, and CXO level. And that was huge, because I think the biggest thing that we have and the biggest success stories is when security can articulate what we need to do and how we need to, and then we provide the metrics. Going in there and going, I can solve your problems if I bought a firewall. That doesn't work. It's helping to educate those around us. How do we do this? How do we effectively tell the C-levels this is how we should be doing this at the level they understand? And then helping to collaborate with everybody else. So, yeah, there's no one good formula. I think the biggest formula is somebody coming and going, how do we all figure this out? We all draw the same paycheck. We all need to be in this together. Does that help?
0: We're going to have to stop there and... uh
1: Thank you very much. No, thank you very much. Appreciate it.